there's a lot of discussion about whether this is like, um, is this Jordan being kind of sexist or is this actually kind of, I don't want to call it progressive, but maybe uh, a little more forward thinking than a lot of fantasy at the time that had women like totally relegated to sidelines. Whereas here we have like, there's a lot of like either out and out matriarchies going on or implied matriarchies or like the women are in the shadows, but they're actually are controlling everything. Um, women have a lot of power in this world. Friends, episode 286 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And this week we discuss the second half of Robert Jordan's 1990 novel, The Great Hunt. So, James and listeners, I, I need to come on here and, I don't know, apologize, make a uh, mea culpa, maybe make a promise going forward that I am not going to try and remember when things occur in the Wheel of Time series. Because clearly, I don't remember them. I was convinced that half the shit that happens in this book didn't happen until later books. I said as much in our previous episodes, sounded like an idiot. Yeah, I'm just, I need to (laughs) stop trying to pretend like I know when things happen because I was sure that half of this shit didn't happen yet. And here it is in book two. Uh, I know that I've definitely said some dumb dumb stuff in our last episode (laughs) along those lines. (laughs) I don't know if if you were thinking about that at all as you were reading. I mean, I was making bold claims like I knew like what what was going on. I was just like, this definitely doesn't happen till later. Just assuming <laughs> that the book couldn't make these jumps. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting how quickly he just opens up this world and, and introduces a lot of these big concepts. But we just got to remember the wheel weaves as the wheel wills, right? It's, Is whatever, that what's going on here? Whatever happens, like uh, you it know, all happened before. It'll all happen again. Is what exactly. you're saying. It doesn't really matter when. Uh, specifically, uh, the Shan Chen, I, I just was completely wrong. I thought they didn't really show up and do anything until later books. Here they are in book two, doing a good bit. Um, I, I thought that we were way ahead in the show, but no, we're, we're right on track in, in, in many ways. Yeah, just definitely got that one completely wrong. Oh, another another point I wanted to to just catch up and talk about that I forgot to mention last week. It's kind of a, I don't know, maybe kind of a book spoiler, but um, I mean, that's why I didn't really... Re- mention it but since we're comparing book to to show i should point out that uno's death in the show that doesn't occur in the book um so that's a very un that's a big change at the very least i should say um th- this this death at the hands of the shanjin when it occurs in the show so that's one of the biggest like character deaths i think we've had so far that has been completely changed um from from book to show i i just assumed so much of what we were getting in season two was already into book three and I feel like with four episodes left, knowing what we've gone through in the show, we might not get that much of of book three in season two. So it might That's, yeah. continue to line up well. There's plenty here in the second. You know, I'm sure there's a few things, you know, a few plot lines here or there, but it feels like we're pretty far along into the plot of book two and that it'll carry us through for the most of the season. But no point in speculating. We'll, we'll get to that next week when we finish out the, the rest of the episodes of season two. Uh, this week we are focusing on closing out the book, and I just want to get your thoughts as a first-time book reader. What were your thoughts on you know the second half of this book, and maybe in comparison to like the Eye of the World, which we led sure. read originally, you know? 
I think that this story with the introduction of the Shanshan and the, the, the places that they take some of these characters to, they really are changing like, I mean, to just naive to talk about naive and to talk about um, Egwene, like what they get to do in the story, I think makes them so much more well-rounded as characters. And I was really excited to see this big epic finale. And, and it, it, I think it, it held a lot of the weight of what I wanted in this big fantasy finale here in a way that maybe even the, the eye of the world would felt a little, um, you know, smaller in scale. This was like, Oh God, this is a big fantasy epic yeah uh like firework finale so pretty big one yeah we get our main character fighting in essence the the major villain we get like all this awesome <laughs> yeah all this yeah. awesome like uh reveal but you know a character who i didn't wasn't as important as i expected which is obviously like leading us into the next one is is lanfear this this forsaken that that in the show and the book was being set up uh and was so motivated in in rand's story through the first half talking about stuff that might that might be book three stuff i, I would expect maybe some of the lanfear stuff they'll pull from book three because yeah she doesn't do a whole lot here in book two um there's a little bit of the reveal but but the you know the story pretty much ends with her and I'd be surprised if that's the case in the show. It feels like we're gonna get a lot more land for you in the show. Yeah, I, I realize so much of the Wheel of Time so far through the first two books is and there's nothing wrong with this. I actually like this about the series, but it's like go to city, go to local tavern, speak to locals, and and mm -hmm. like you know start to explore the area through that. But each city they go to, that's like the first thing they do. And then they'll they'll sort of build out uh, the rest of the city, but it feels very like a D and D adventure, like very <laughs> yeah, classic. Yeah, talk to fantasy. the bar barkeep. <laughs> and then yeah, getting like the ogier and like their uh, what are they the called? Steading. The steadings are very yeah. cool. As much as I wanted to see Tarvalon and tons of Tarvalon, I also liked that like Nynaeve and Egwene and some of those other characters weren't just like locked up in that tower for the rest of the book. They got to like yeah. globe trod, and I love the ways as a as a mechanic to do that because I think. You know, many fantasy stories have smartly added something like this to their world so that you can get characters from one spot to another in a practical way that makes mm -hmm. them, you know, relevant to all aspects of the story if you want them to be. And, uh, you know, this is something that like Game of Thrones and like uh, Song of Ice and Fire often, especially in the show, when, when, when it comes to the show, people were always like, how did this character get from here to here in one month? And this yeah. is this is the way you do that. You have a magical network. Um, yeah, and multiple different ways of fast travel. The portal stone continues to be just like fascinatingly overpowered. It's interesting. We'll get to that. Yeah, it's a lot of interesting stuff that goes on with the attempts to travel. Yeah, I enjoyed this book. Uh, my second time reading it, I think ever. I think this is one of the books I remember the least. Certain things from the end, I did, I did recall, but like a lot of a lot of it, I either misplaced completely in its spot in the series, or I'd completely forgotten about. Um, yeah, it's a good it's a good book, honestly. I think it's right there with Eye of the World as far as like if I were to compare these two books. Um there's a lot of nostalgia in built up in like the first part of The Eye of the World and the introduction to a lot of the characters, but it does I think the finale of book 2 works a little better than the finale of book 1. Yeah. Um so so that that's where I'm kind of like it, it kind of evens out. Like I think both of these books are about on the same level. Um yeah, I I enjoy this one quite a bit. 
Um, and I'm, it sounds like you did too. So I'm glad to know that. It's still I guess to answer you. your, your actual question with a pointed <laughs> answer. Yeah, I enjoyed this book a lot. I don't know. We, we can talk about comparing the first and the second. And but more than anything, I'm just excited to continue on. I feel exactly how I did at the end of Eye of the World. Like, all right, I really want to read The Dragon Reborn now and yeah, and sort of get into more of what this world can be, because it feels like we're still just starting to catch that momentum and get the story go moving into yeah. an area to open it up to what it can really be. Well, we're still at what less than ten percent complete of the series, so yeah, we're yeah. still getting started. <laughs> All right, well, we got a lot of plot to get into here, so I think we're going to jump right into it because there's a lot to react to, a lot of specifics I want to talk about with you. So, at the White Tower, Nynaeve takes the test to become accepted by walking through three rings, each of which takes her to a different vision. After this, she is made accepted. Rand and his group travel to Kyrian along with Celine, who keeps mysteriously disappearing. After reaching the capital, Rand finds Tom Marilyn, whom he thought had been killed. Tom is with his girlfriend and apprenticed Dina. In the city, Rand and Loyal are attacked by Trollocs, and during their escape, destroy the chapter house of the Illuminators Guild. The Horn and Dagger are once again lost, and Dina is murdered for Tom's involvement with Rand. Meanwhile, the wolves tell Perrin about Rand's location. Okay, we gotta stop uh, here and talk about Nynaeve's tests. That was like one of the last big things we got in the show. And I think it's interesting to compare what actually occurs in the books because they're pretty different. They um, some similarities, but pretty different. So the first one is like her and Agonor in a maze squaring off. It's very, <laughs> it reminded me of like a video game or something. Um, it's interesting. I wasn't really sure what to make of it. It's supposedly called like, this is the vision for what was. Mm -hmm. And then it's her battling Agonor, and then she comes out, and they're like, you know, how'd it go? And she talks about it. She, they're like, you weren't supposed to be able to channel in there. How'd you do that? Don't do it again. Um, and she's like, well, I can't remember anything when I go inside, but I guess I'll try to remember not to do it. <laughs> I think an interesting change for the show because they made it more personal to her as uh, motivating as a character, whereas this was maybe more like... I think Robert Jordan does such a great job of like threading in all these prophecies and dreams and, and like alternate versions of things. And you're supposed to try to like suss out what he's trying to tell you. Like her fighting Agonor is like there's some symbolism or some sort of meaning to it. But in making it about her parents, the first one about her parents, I believe. Yeah, they, the they made it about her being unable to help, help her parents. She was like a, a kid in the yeah. cellar while they were getting attacked by, I think, some like bandits or something. Yeah, I think that was a good change. Uh, that was one where actually, yeah, I, I preferred the show's version. I think it shows us a little bit more about the character. Ultimately, I didn't learn a lot about Nynaeve here. Um, I know she's powerful and wants to take on the Forsaken Seeing her do it here, I don't know. It doesn't tell me a whole lot about this. Is character. this meant to represent Rand's fight at the end of Eye of the World, maybe? Where does he fight this So this character? is what was. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, it, Rand does fight him, but why would that apply to her? The only thing I could think of is maybe a past life, Nynaeve. Like you, the whole wheel thing. Like maybe she fought Agonor in a past life. That could be. Um, but we didn't get a lot of hints of that. Like no one's calling her by a different name or anything like they do with a lot of our other characters. Like... Yeah, I was a little, honestly, a little bit like, I'm not sure what Robert Jordan was really going for with this with this and maybe, uh, version of the vision here. And something I realized, too, is he is seeding a lot of things that I, are probably rewarding on a reread. Like, once you read all of the books, then you go back and you read this, you're like, then that's probably that that there might be some connective tissue to, like, some sort of, uh, you know, past life or future wheel spin, like you said, that, that uh, 
you know, yeah. makes this make more sense. I don't know. Or at the very least, it gives you a way to explain it away without having to think too much about it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the second vision, though, because the second vision is for what is is what they how they describe it. Um, and and Nynaeve goes in and she meets uh, I forget the character, but there's a character at the end in, in Emmons Field. We learn about this new wisdom who's like a bully and bossing people around, but then maybe also poisoning children to like keep her position. And everyone's afraid of her. She's like ruling through fear um, as this new wisdom who's taken her place. And Nynaeve is like about to get to confront her. And she has to, instead of confronting her, which she really wants to do, take the arch and leave. And, and I thought this was, a I like this version maybe slightly better than what was in the show, but both are okay. Her her not being able to save the people who are sick there, that also that also plays for me. Um, both show me something interesting about the character. So I, I kind of like both. And in the show, it was Tam, right? She went back to see Tam. Tam. There was this wisdom yeah. that was maybe... Well, she didn't have any magic and she couldn't really heal. She just yeah. had... It, it was like without, without oh, she the was giving one people power... The, the red herb thing uh, that was like hurting them. Or at like, least not helping them. Yeah. When I saw this in the show, I was like, oh, this is probably something. This is like the end of Nynaeve's story in book two, I bet. That's kind of my assumption was like she was going to overcome this and that was going to be like where she ended book two. Not even close. <laughs> he just there's so much that happens in this book. All right. So let's move on to the third one. Um, so the final vision has her meeting Lan, who is now her husband. It's, it's like a future version of herself. And they have multiple children together. And she's meeting him and he starts talking about like all this stuff about like how she is actually a queen because, you know, he's the king of the seven towers. And there's like talk about how like if she goes to talk to Morghese, it's actually like two nations and it needs to be, you know, like set up in, beforehand. And he starts referencing all this stuff that like we I don't know, like what, what were your thoughts on all this on this? knowledge we're getting about like what a potential future might look like for them i think that's what was cool about it is that it's what we could potentially see from these characters in the future and what like their being together could mean for the the state of the world at some point yeah now she misses the i believe she misses the arch the first time it it appears here just like in the show um but then it comes back again later and she does take it the second time but she only she has to turn away from land because of the he's like welcoming her into this life and she has to force herself back because she knows she has like unfinished business in like the present. She has too much she can she has to do there. She can't just stay here in this like idyllic future with land. And that is um, like the gut wrenching decision she has to make to leave. And I think this works a lot better than what we got in the show. In the show, her, Lan is killed, and so is Matt and Perrin, and she saves her child, tries to save her child and run through the arch. It doesn't work, but, like, that was what she was attempting to do. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, like, what's the choice for her? She didn't really have much of a choice. That was the only option, and here she has to choose the present over this idyllic future, and I think that's way more interesting to me. Yeah, it makes the character more interesting and more have more agency for sure. Like she she had a decision to make versus like all this stuff happening to her. I say the tragedy that we well, see in the show. it's a sacrifice, show, right? It is a sacrifice. And what we see in the show, the tragedy hits really hard in a totally different way just because she's holding her child and there's no way that she can hold on to this. And then she's kind of has to run through. And yeah. then there's like this whole life that she's lived, which is implied in the book. 
that she lived all this life. Did they have kids together? And that's something else that she lost yeah. by it. By choosing, she has to like leave. the memories of it are like kind of there. Although I don't, I don't think she had the whole thing where it was like she was in there for all these years in the same way that she was in the show. Yeah, yeah, it was like an interpretation of it that was a little different, but. Yeah, I still, I still think the, the book version works better here. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Like I think book version of third vision works better. Yeah. But I think show version of the first vision works better. And the second one is kind of a wash. Yeah, very cool, though, just to talk about the, the trials in general. It's cool to know like every Aes Sedai you see has gone through that. Like, you know, OK, it's not just something where you go to the tower and you train and you get good at magic and then they like you get to rank up and become a like become a sister. You have yeah. to actually like do this really hard trial that some people just can't do. You can't. And that, that shows like not just their magical prowess, but like their mental toughness as well. Yeah. Some of some of the mechanics are a little different. Like, I don't think they actually lose sisters to the like lose them into the arches in the book. They come back and they're like like stilled because they've been burnt out by by the process and like things like that. Like So it's like you essentially are lost to it. But. Yeah, the, the functionality has just changed a little bit, but I, I think it works in both um, pretty well. And I agree. I think it's a it's a cool element to this whole magic system and a unique one to the Wheel of Time, ultimately. Um, so we got to also talk about some other things that are going on at the tower, however, because Min is at the tower, which I had forgotten. I think I might have even said in the show, like, I don't think she comes to the tower here. She does. But in kind of a different circumstance, she's she's she is there to be studied. But um, she doesn't have any interactions with Matt because Matt's not there at this point at this point in time. Instead, she is introduced around the same time as Elaine to Egwene and the three of them actually kind of become close friends and spend a good amount of time together. And we get a bunch more prophecies from men as she's looking at them. And we start hearing talk about her and Rand and Elaine and Rand and another woman that none of them know yet they're going to have to like share him with and Egwene's not Egwene's not included in this list and Egwene has weird feelings about that I have weird feelings about that so I wanted to ask you because you were you were 100% on the Egwene and Rand end up together boat yeah. I think as of like last episode so I'm curious to know where you're at now still on it man still, still on cruising, it cruising along uh so you're you're not worried about the all these prophecies there might be a treacherous relationship and tumultuous thing along like path that it takes, but I think ultimately they it just makes the most narrative sense for them to end up together. And I think it's rewarding for the audience that that's where I'm at with it. Um, okay. But I do think that these other people are possible romantic interests that they have along the way. Um, so you think, think it's that, more like stepping stones, but eventually he'll come back to Egwene. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what about what about Gwen and, and Galad? Any any thoughts on them? Egwene's eyeing them. She's eyeing them. Uh, attraction. They're young adults, I guess. That they're they're all horned up. So Minchin says that that Galad will uh, will choose right above Mercy every time, and um, she doesn't seem to be very fond of him, even though she admits he's very good looking. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Like it, it, all of a sudden, I remember this kind of blew my mind when I was reading this when I was younger. It was like, yeah, because I was thinking we we had a pretty clear romantic interest between Egwene and, and Rand. And now all of a sudden we have all these other women and they're talking about like how they're going to have to share them with each share him with each other and all this that stuff. I want to like, talk what? about because yeah. if, if that actually comes true and at some point he has like has a bunch of wives. <laughs> he's in, he, yeah, he's in like a poly poly 
uh, romance with, yeah. with multiple women. Yeah, which, you know, power to you if that's if that's something you're interested in and that's your lifestyle. But I think that, like, I can just imagine Robert Jordan writing a character that has three wives and kind of infer what he's getting at with that. And, like, yeah. I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. We'll, we'll have to see how it plays out if that does come true. Um, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't reveal future knowledge about this. This is some stuff I do know something about, but, I, yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it is. It is. Uh, it is interesting. There's so many different angles to think about this kind of stuff, right? Is it is it some sort of fantasy by the author? You know, it's, you know, we get into some like borderline kinky stuff going on in this book when we start getting you know doms and subs and you know a lot of women getting switches taken to them and um, maybe it's all you know innocent and maybe uh, it's like a kink that Robert Jordan had and and uh you know <laughs> we're all like now having to deal with it <laughs> you know it's fine but just like what what is going on here i think a lot of people have raised their eyebrows at this and been like you know there's a lot of like women spanking women in these books um in different ways and uh, that doesn't really go away that's a pretty persistent <laughs> thing in these books yeah so ultimately nothing wrong with that if it's all consensual <laughs> yeah. but at the exactly, same time but... at the same time we're like maybe getting a peek into the author's psyche a little bit here. <laughs> you you wonder you're like is what's going on here but i i wanted to get your thoughts on it you know as we're starting to encounter this kind of stuff he loves making big proclamations about men and women in his world right like women are always like this and men yeah. are always like this and well, you know and it's, to have it's imagine... true across cultures and across everything it's like there's these like gender constants and a lot of people obviously are like don't like this stuff it's very gender normative stuff that like Absolutely, at yeah. the time gender binary seemed, yeah that that seemed like uh based on his worldview probably all he knew yeah. and uh that that kind of like when i read it now like having even the magic system be based around men and women and it's like yep. okay so where is where do non-binary people fall where do trans yeah. people fall like they is don't it exist all, like... clearly <laughs> no i mean actually i do think uh, if i remember correctly we deal with a little bit of this stuff later there's like you could maybe say he, he engaged with it in some later books but yeah it's not you know it's not great um one i thought it was interesting that men repeatedly is described in a way that i would almost say is non-binary I just don't know that Robert Jordan had the like framework for that. Like maybe, I mean, maybe he did, but like he, maybe he didn't feel like he could introduce it into a series, but like, you know, she is, is one of the few characters who seems to be very openly antagonistic towards like certain elements of gender. Like she right. doesn't want to wear dresses. She wants to just, you know, wear, wear her pants and, and not dress like women you know and like all the women around her are like kind of like surprised by it and she wears her hair short and um this to me in a modern series would just be a non-binary character most likely and like you said maybe it's just he just didn't have the the words or the the background to really like bring it all the way there and say like this is a non-binary character and it, and it seems to me they're leaning into that in the show as well um again okay. i don't i don't know if they've come out and said non-binary but Definitely the, the portrayal of men in the show has, has been consistent with that, I would, yeah. I would say. Well, I think it's interesting. It's smart to update that, right? If you're going to if you're going to adapt this, like that's the, that's the advantage yeah. is that you get to be like, I'll, yeah, I'd be surprised if we got like they them pronouns or anything like that. Um, yeah, but we'll see. I, it looks like they're it looks like they're doing it a little bit. I mean, I think we would have probably already heard it by now. Maybe. All right. We got to keep moving on in this in this plot here. So Tom Marilyn. Oh, yeah. Wanted to react to that. Yeah. So so. I've had a feeling in our in our book one coverage that we we hadn't seen the end of Tom Marilyn. Yeah, uh, you said I like yeah. love this character. I really enjoyed like what he meant to the story and just like what he's bringing as a bard kind of figure and yeah. he just like I love this kind of character in a story. 
And yeah. so when he showed back up at first, I was like, there's no way he just brought him back that quickly. I'm going to assume this is some sort of dream or vision or something like that. And then like, but, nope, he just keeps <laughs> popping back up and he's, he's it's just really there and he's there in an inn at some point and Rand comes yeah. across and he's like, holy shit, you're alive. <laughs> and yeah. I, I love that, that, you know, it's almost like every time our main characters get to interact with like a Moraine, you're like, oh, wow, this is a really cool chapter. I can't wait to hear like all the information we get. Same thing with Tom. He yeah. has like like lore knowledge from songs and all this kind of stuff. Tom always has cool. has the lore knowledge, and he he has like a a perspective that we otherwise don't get. He's very worldly. He knows what's going on. He we, he seems very wise. Learn about his brother some more about his brother, which was fascinating. Yeah, and he's mysterious in many ways. Like his past is mysterious. Where's Moiraine? He keeps asking about Moiraine. She's not with you, huh? Where is she? <laughs> he, it also um, highlights a lot of the changes that have happened since they were last together. Cause Tom still is kind of thinking he's, he's kind of where he was and Rand is quickly like, no, no, no I'm pretty different now. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I've, I've come a long way since we last talked, you know, not so many words like, I, and Tom has to sort of realize that this isn't just the, you know, the, the simple shepherd, even, you know, however many weeks ago he probably saw him. Um, he's already changed quite a bit. Love that right away. He's like, where's my fucking harp? He's like, give me my harp and my flute now. <laughs> give it back. Um, I, I, I do have to say, though, the whole Dina apprentice slash girlfriend uh, situation, it's it's uh, classic fridging. She's introduced and killed off within, I don't know, 50 pages. Couple chapters. Um, yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, who's this character? I kind of forgot about her. I'm, I'm like trying to remember what happens to her. And I'm like, Dina, you know, what did she go and do something? And I'm like trying to remember who she was. And and then she dies. And I'm like, oh, well, that's why I don't remember her. She's immediately fridged by just some like random henchman just to like spur Tom on and make him angry and, and, yeah. and tortured. And yeah. it's it's a pretty uh, blatant example of this uh, unfortunate trope. Yeah. And I was excited because she was meant to be the, the first uh gleeman that was a woman yeah she wanted to be the first woman gleeman yeah and i was like this is cool as hell man let's see how where this goes and then yeah, yeah. it's nowhere cut off. <laughs> yeah not only is she his apprentice but she's also his girlfriend it was like i don't know it was, it was already kind of weird and then yeah and then she's just unceremoniously killed he finds her dead and and like yes he throws some daggers and does some cool shit after that but um yeah it, it was it didn't work very well for me um and and that's where we leave tom so Oh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully we get better, better stuff from him in the next book. Yeah, I well, don't remember all... and I'm not going to pretend like I do. <laughs> yeah, but he he um, man, what do we leave off with? He's like he's like wants to get revenge. He finds out who who actually was responsible and he's like, I'm going to kill that guy. Uh, yeah, 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 and they're yeah, like, Kyrian. you can't kill a king. And he's like, yeah. we'll see about that. And yeah. then that's the last we get. Well, and also there's like a civil war kicking off because we talked as we, we kind of talked about in the in the summary here, Rand and um, Loyal, who are traveling together still at this point, they get attacked by a bunch of Trollocs who are like pretending to be puppets in the in the parades. Yeah, they're bizarre. actually real Trollocs. It's really yeah. very strange. And I'm like, I don't I bet they, I'm like, I don't think they did this in the show because it would be very <laughs> hard to be convincing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they end up blowing up a bunch of fireworks with the Illuminators Guild. And then this like kicks off riots and like maybe another civil war, which we hear about later that like, yeah, they kicked off another civil war just by Rand sort of being there. Um, yeah. There's a lot of these moments where he keeps throwing the invitations away. Um, we meet. Oh, yeah. This, the politics uh, of that city was really interesting. I forget the full name of it, but it's like the game. Deus that they play. Demar or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, it's all about like who's vying with what power and who's who's sliding who and and like uh, he eventually gets in, involved with this guy who ends up being a dark friend. Yeah. Uh, Rand. I, I did love how it was like every he just keeps throwing away the the invitations and the, the people around him like oh no you can't throw that one away that one will if you throw that one away it's gonna really and he throws him away and he's like no 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 God I can't believe you did that well well the next one you really can't throw and he just throws that one away too and then like he becomes like oh he's a master player of the game no one's ever played the game like him and it's just because he doesn't want to and he keeps saying he doesn't want yeah. to i thought the most clever move was when they they needed to buy time and he like went to the tavern with like both envelopes still sealed because if he opened one of them or accepted one of them each faction would like then turn on the other and um yeah interesting to to i like how each city's felt very distinct so far like this clearly the game and all this stuff is very distinct too well uh, we he we hear a little bit of the cool lore about Kyrian. it was um there's these ever-growing towers it was described as they were like compete like competing houses were building taller and taller towers um but then they all got burned to the ground during the ale wars ale wars however you pronounce it um and then now they're starting to build them back it sounds like but they're not what they once were they once were these just like yeah you know hugely tall ones that were just like always under construction which is kind of a neat thing to imagine the, the you know aiel's popping up and obviously like rand having some connection to them they talk about how he looks just like him and everybody calls him Aiel. So he's yeah. got to be Aiel. Um, well, we, it's basically confirmed, right? Like we, we, we've basically had it confirmed at this point, especially well, in the show. I was going to say in the show, we definitely did. And mm -hmm. um, so him being Aiel and like all these hearing about them and then like seeing random Aiel is interesting. But I actually kind of thought leading into the, the second half of the book and the show that the Aiel and the Shanchen were going to be like related in some way. And like the Aiel were going to be like coming back to reclaim territory, totally different faction, yeah, um, different faction, <laughs> which is cool. And um, because like we, we come to find out that they, that the Shanchen are like, they actually are the descendants of Archer Hawkwing people that are then now coming back and having people swear oaths. But I think if I can, they live, they live on like another continent somewhere. Yeah. Whereas the Aiel live on this continent, they're just in the wastes, which are like the deserts that nobody goes to. And they call it the threefold land we, we hear about. And they say that it's like a test. And they have a bunch of prophecies um, around um, around a figure that sounds an awful lot like Rand, right? Brings the dawn and yeah, all that kind <laughs> yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it's like he, he who comes with the dawn, I think like, is, is the name. And um, yeah, they, they, a lot of their prophecies are about a return. Like they're going to leave the wastes and come back when the when this he who comes from the dawn returns while we're talking about shanshin real quick i mentioned like archer hawkwings like descendants but it's it's interesting because we do see i think they've been somehow distorted in some way their messaging has been distorted just based on like how evil some of the shit they're doing seems yeah they've clearly given over fully to like slavery and that seems to be i think uh, i think robert jordan is 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 definitely like saying this is a poison to their society and it makes them uh, quite unlikable. Let me read this next part of the summary here. Perrin and Matt learn that the horn has been taken to Utoman Head. Hoping to get there faster, Rand and Varen attempt to use the two way gates, but they are closed to them by the black wind. Next, Rand uses a portal stone, but it malfunctions and the group loses time by traveling by way of stone. The Shanchen have occupied the city of Falmi, Geofrim Bornhold is preparing the Children of the Light to take arms against the Shanchen. At the White Tower, Leandrin tells Egwene and Nynaeve that they must travel to Toman Head because the Emmon Field Boys are in danger there. Elaine and Min Farshaw, also at the Tower, join the group when they travel by Waygate to Falmy. 
Once there, Min and Egwene are betrayed to the Shanshen by Leandrin. Egwene is collared with an Adam, a device used by the Shanshen to control the women who can channel, who they call Damani, or Leashed Ones. Nynaeve and Elaine escape. We were talking about the traveling here. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, there's a moment where they try and use the portal stone and Rand channels, and we get the flicker moment in the book where we get a lot of flickers and we see alternate possible lives for Rand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought these were kind of illustrative to a little bit more about like what the nature of his role is supposed to be. And also like what could have happened to him had he not made a lot of the choices or, or, or a lot of if characters had done things differently or things had played out differently, like different versions of his life. And yeah, what were your thoughts on what we saw here? Balzaman keeps telling Rand that you, I've seen you live and die so many cycles of the wheel and over and over and all this stuff. And I feel like you can take this as an interpretation of like these are possible lives that he did live or they or these are possible lives that could have been had he made different decisions. Um, but yeah, interesting because especially because when when we get out of it, everyone's had multiple different uh, lives. And I was just thinking about like if you cognitively can hold on to all of those lives that you lived he lived to be an old man in a bunch of them like how that changes you fundamentally as like a living sentient being yeah i don't know if he like experienced all of that time or if it was just like jumping through snapshots yeah maybe snapshots from it well so perrin mentions like oh there's some things that like you can't avoid there's some things that always certain things that are always there and always and i kept i know i kept noticing that rand kept getting this waste disease he kept like losing fingers and like wasting because he can channel in like every version it's just that whether or not he ever learns the truth of it or if it's just like it it deter it like because he's always kind of mad he always he kind of becomes like a crazy hermit in a few of them He's the guy that, you know, everybody thinks is like given to dark, violent moods. He's kind of dangerous. He's also had the he lives with Egwene and has a family with her in another yep. version. He's a farmer. He's this. He's a soldier. He, all kinds yeah. of stuff. There's one where he becomes a member of the Queen's Guard. He actually does leave Emensfield mm-hmm. and he is like there to protect Elaine. But she's like not allowed to look at him. Like He's looking at her, but she's not allowed to look at him because she, she's like married to some like yeah. shitty guy, some shitty prince. I mean, he like. He ends up like trying to defend her from the Shan Chen and gets destroyed by the high level power. magic out of him, like throwing fireballs. And that and one, he's like and... learned to channel a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But like, in none of those has is he the Dragon Reborn, right? None of those has he like, or he is, but like, he, none of those he like has embraced Succeeds. who yeah. he is and and like you know leaned into it. And it seems like you know that's his fate. And so if he, this is showing him like the lives he could have if he were to turn away from it. And his whole book, he's been, like, wanting to turn away from it and, like, uh, you know, denying the reality of it um, over and over again to to some extent. Yeah. And, yeah, all these characters go through it, too. Matt uh, is like, I would never betray you to Rand. So clearly there were versions of his life where where he did. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I love where Matt kind of teeters at this point in the story, especially after we see him, like, kill somebody with a dagger. And I'm like, okay, we're getting some dark powers out of Matt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that well, he's going to like teeter on the precipice of like, is he good? Is he bad? But ultimately what I assume would be hopefully using bad powers against bad people for the light side is pretty, pretty cool. He is, you know, Matt, Matt has a very interesting arc throughout the series that I will try not to spoil. But yeah. um, I did notice with Matt 
how the show has quickly dispensed with some of this dagger stuff. Like he is kind of a bummer throughout a lot of this book um, because he is still chasing the, the, the dagger basically all the way up till the end. Um, and I think in the show, we've already kind of started to move past the dagger. It feels like we're, we're I think the show runner Rafe Judkins has realized that like, yeah, we probably spend too long futzing around with this dagger with Matt. Like we, it has its moment to be important, but then we need to move on from it and start getting into other more interesting stuff with him. Yeah. Well, and, and the dagger's influence can still be there and the, the evil shadow over him can still be there, even if it's not specifically about the magical item. Yeah. Um, well, like specifically, he, like he's dying unless he gets it again, like throughout this entire book. It's like a ticking clock. They're having to go there because he's wasting away and he's physically ill. And like we've already gotten past all of that in the show. And we've like talked at about the end the of the book. He's they're going to Tarvalon to like with the dagger to get him. Yeah. And that's like that has already happened in the show. And I think another smart change in the show, too, was like they decided to split off the Rand, Perrin and Matt. Like the fact that they were largely together a lot in this book. Yeah. Makes it like often I just felt like it was Rand's story. And and like Perrin yeah. and Matt are so far to the sidelines. Still, yeah. And, and that's that was the case in Eye of the World. And it continues to be the case somewhat here where it still yeah. feels like the Rand show. And, and I like that the show's made a decision to kind of separate the storylines out and give them their own individual stuff. And I'll see, I'm excited to see more of all of the characters. Other, I mean, I want to see more of Rand too, but I want to see more of all the other characters in upcoming books. Yeah, so we do actually meet some Aiel men. Um, there's, there's a few different encounters. Um, there's the shield maidens at the steading. Yeah. Who who they like almost throw down with? Um, there's what's the there's promise a, or the the oath or something that that the, yeah the, well the the Ogier Ogiers remind, remind them, of. them of the promise, and we I, I don't know if we have that said exactly, but it sounds like essentially a promise that they won't do any harm at steading. But that seems like everybody has yeah. is being held to that in some way. Like no, but no, but there's no violence in the steadings, which by the way have a very kind of hobbiton feel to me. Love the steading. Describe these mounds. Yeah. It's kind of like a mix between Hobbiton and like Rivendell or something. It's very like of the woods fantasy place. Um, you know, you walk in there and you can feel that you're in like a magical place yeah. where there's well, no Well, they can't tap and, into the, the yeah. one power, the one source. It's really cool that it's like that's where you want to hang out, man. In a world that's at war, you just want to chill in one of those and just like yeah. relax and hang out with your Ogier buddies. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, Loyal has got the eyes for uh, a, a girl, Ogier, that he meets. Yeah. Love the the culture again, like the women, uh, like arranging marriages with their mothers and yeah. the men have no say in it, I think is, is pretty cool. And just like, yeah, so there's like a moment where Rand's like, that's not how we do it. And then he like reviews things and he's like, oh, actually, that is kind of how we do it. And, and again, that's like the thing where Jordan clearly has kind of a like, I don't know if it's just how it is in his world or if it's his worldview, but he's like, women are like this and they're like this across all cultures and they're always like this. And this is the way of the world. There's a lot of discussion about whether this is like, um, is this Jordan being kind of sexist or is this actually kind of, I don't want to call it progressive, but maybe uh, a little more forward thinking than a lot of fantasy at the time that had women like totally relegated to sidelines. Whereas here we have like, there's a lot of like either out and out matriarchies going on or implied matriarchies or like the women are in the shadows, but they're actually are controlling everything. Um, women have a lot of power in this world, um, clearly. So, so yeah, I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Does this seem like it's... Uh, 
Is I don't it refreshing have a, to you to put it in context of other fantasy at the time or, or not? I don't have like a massive background in, in this. So it's like, I don't feel like I, I can say whether yeah. he is being progressive or not. But I do think that he thought that he was being progressive. I think his, you know, I think his heart was in the right place in doing this kind of stuff. I, I don't think it's an accident that there's a bunch of matriarchies in this story and that women yeah. have a really prominent role. Yeah, so it's like, again, that's just something I want to put out there. I, I agree. I don't really know how I feel about it. Um, I can see both sides of it. I, I think it's messy. I, I, it's like intentions were probably good. But I think he also, you know, he's just, uh, he's he's he is ultimately a fallible man. And uh, we see some of his, you know, fallibilities come out in, in his writing. And I think that's okay. It doesn't yeah. make the writing bad. I want to talk about the fact that, like, they couldn't jump into the ways because of machin shin yeah the, the, the black dark death wind. or death wind or whatever it is it's like this entity of its own but then it's also like listening to pad and fan and my theory was the reason it kept showing up at the gates that they were trying to go to is because of pad and fan but specifically pad and fan saying like do you want the dragon reborn and like that's like enticing i think to an evil entity to be able to have such an important person whether he wants to like absorb power or kill him and notoriety or whatever it is whatever yeah. and, and but at the same time they sell it as this very primal thing it's not it's not it doesn't seem very thinking so that's why it's weird that it keeps showing yeah. up the gate it's described as being kind of a separate sort of evil from the dark one much like uh the the dagger it's like another kind of evil and pat and fane is such a like unique creature now is what they call him because he's been affected by both sides like you know, he's a he's like a, a dark friend who got, I don't know, like poisoned by this other evil. And so now he's he's kind of a, of both. They literally say at the end of this book, something along the lines like that. He like merged with an evil like like Morgane is or um, is it Moraine saying something about that, that he he like is a Mor different. Entity. Well, so more death was the entity at. The, yeah, that we that had the dagger and it tried to like eat him and instead he became he, like what he is now. Yeah, like absorbed more death or something, and they're like yeah. the same being or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it gets it's weird. That's what I'm <laughs> assuming. Yeah, yeah, and that explains a little bit how he's able to have like how he's able to like kill me or draw and like do weird shit like that too. And isn't more death also? Isn't it his dagger from Shadow Logoth, or do we not know? We yeah, yeah more, know. it was well, like the actual persons. I don't know, yeah. but like he was like the representative of that evil at that at that point in the story. Yeah, is my memory of it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so the the Black Death Wind, what is it called? The Death Wind? Black, Black Wind. Wind. Yeah. Um, it's waiting at the gate as soon as Rand goes to open it. And they end up escaping. And, you know, then they go to the setting and they're like, we're going to try again from a different location because it's if it's waiting for me at the other one, it won't know I'm coming here. Opens it up and it's there again. And then we're about to get to Nynaeve and, and Elaine and Egwene they go into the way gates with Leandrin and it's no, there's no black wind there. Yeah. So I think clearly it's got something to do with Rand, right? Like it, it's like drawn to him. It knows where he's going to be, I guess. And it knows where he's about to enter it. It seems connected to him in some way to me. I'm excited to see like an, a, a very powerful Rand at some point, just like dominate this, this being <laughs> and be like, this is my ways now. And it's my way or the highway. And everybody's going to have to, <laughs> Everyone can use the waves whenever they want. If you offer them, I'm coming after you. Okay. <laughs> uh, interesting thought. Um, so let's talk <laughs> about Leandrin a little bit. Uh, Leandrin, uh, you know, big big character in the show. We get, we've been getting a ton of her. 
she actually just shows up for the first time. Well, not for the first time, but she we haven't seen her in a while until she shows up here at the at the tower. It seems like there's some um Elida is a character that she has taken the place of a little bit in the show at times. Um we hear about Elida is like the advisor um Aesidai to the Queen Morgase. Someone Elaine knows. Um, but at times the Elida was present at scenes that in the show they gave instead to Leandrin. Um but this is something that was happening in the show last we left. I think we left off in the last episode. She was saying we got to go to Tom and Head and basically knocks them all out uh, with a blast of power in the show. And here instead we get them going to through the ways and then the reveal is you were right. Leandrin, dark friend, right? Confirmed? Evil. Black yeah. Ajaw. Yeah, I mean, uh, did they? I don't know if they out not said Black Azra, but she clearly says I'm working with the Dark One to yeah. the Shanshan and everything like that, and agrees. So, and this is that this is that character from the show, uh, Lady Turoff, I think they say is her name, um, and this is the one we met, I think, on the this on the pyramid thing right. in the show, um, and she she hands over Egwin, and we we learn about the Adam and the Soldom and the Domine. Uh, and and how that leashing works and everything oh, it's super fucked up yeah yeah so i didn't i i kind of knew that they were gagged and they were being used for the magic but i didn't understand like the level to which they're being controlled and the way that like they can manipulate their feelings and torture them and all the other things that they can do with this uh, adam or whatever well we start hearing about how they've like they have leashed a Sedai in the past and it sounds like their goal is to leash all the a Sedai. they want to like burn the white tower to the ground and leash all the Aes and make them all like minions of their, of the Shanshen. Yeah. It's crazy. I'll be excited to see like what led to their spiral to this like evil, you know, slave forward culture. Like what? Like, well, so clearly it's, it's, it's kind of an extrapolation. I was realizing of like how the women treat the men in in uh you know the rest of the world and that it's like oh they're dangerous it's for their own good they need to be gentled or they need to be controlled they can't be allowed to like wreak havoc it's just kind of that except for for the shanshen they look at women who can channel and see the same thing it's too dangerous to let them be out of control they need to be under the control of the empress which it seems like this is an empire led by an empress we hear talk about the empress's daughter tuan at one point um, and we hear a few references to their hierarchy and how they're back in Shanshen. Seems like they haven't come over yet, but they're talking about going back over there, um, making like gifts to her. Uh, Turok, I think, has been introduced here at some point. He's this other Shanshen, I guess, lord who's like a collector. And um, he also has mentioned her a few times in his uh, interactions with Domon, um, who he is at uh, Toman Head uh, or Falme. Uh, like has taken residence there. Um, and it seems like, I wonder if those two, if the, that character is going to be combined with Turoth in the show. Like it might, we might just make this one character. Um, but right now it's two. So yeah, more thoughts on the Shanshan. I want to know what, you know, in, in the, now that you know a little more about them, what do you think of them and what are you looking forward to in the show? Uh, again motive motives like why are they doing this what uh, at first i was kind of you know I, I saw this invading force and i was like they're reclaiming their territory i'm like i'm for that man i'm like fuck it like <laughs> it sounds like sounds like some people rolled in and forced you out like take your you know come back in and, and be like a a player on the stage and, and try to take back some of your land and then uh, very quickly i was like oh shit but they're like super those aren't like prisoners or anything like this they're just going and kidnapping people 
and turning them into like full-on slaves and and again the torture well especially those who can channel but it does seem like even because they have this we see the occupied city Mm -hmm. and they have this like whole thing where you just have to like bow to them but they like let people like carry weapons and stuff because they basically consider them not a threat as long as they're like you know saying the right things um yeah and and their servants are like it's it reminds me of like egyptian a little bit in the sense of like they're like sworn to serve them in death or something. And so like, you know, if like one the of them pharaohs, dies, they're going to kill themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly like the pharaohs. Yeah. yeah. That kind of thing. Um, I think he was maybe playing with that uh, or maybe some other cultures. I'm not sure. Um, Again, to tie them into this whole Archer Hawkwing descendants thing. I, I just am like, why he seems like an upstanding gentleman when he shows up later in the book. <laughs> and yeah. I don't understand how his descendant, the armies that, what, I, you know, I don't know what he was fighting for. Often. Right. Yeah, he does fight them. You mentioned how the Shanshan see women and and that, and I think it's interesting that the children of light of the light are also see the Aesodai as threats and things like that, yeah. and then they end up fighting each other, even though like the Aesodai seems like the common enemy that they share. I do like that, and this is something that I think happens pretty frequently in in Jordan's books, where like there will be these groups that have these differing. Um, ideas about the world and what they want and they're at odds with each other but sometimes they find common enemies and they'll be uncomfortable allies for a little while and then they'll end up fighting each other again in the future and maybe this group that you don't actually like ends up coming to the rescue and like i think all of that is pretty true to life and like how a lot of these like you know big battles occur and it's very different than like lord of the rings um where you might argue that there's generally just like the forces of good versus the forces of evil and there's usually like a clear definition between the two um whereas here uh, you know we're already starting to see some complexity to that is getting introduced and the children of light seem it, it clearly they're not like knocked out and gone but they took a ma major blow here and so did the shanshan here at the end well let's let's talk about this last section here since we're, we've arrived at it rand ingtar and the others arrive at falmy where they aim to reclaim the horn and the dagger the five chosen to go are ingtar hurin because of his sniffing Rand, Perrin, and Matt, who look sickly and pale, having been separated from the dagger for so long, but has all his physical strength and stamina. In the city, Rand sneaks into the building where the horn is being kept, but is found out and gets into a sword fight with the blademaster High Lord Turok of the Shanshan. Rand manages to defeat Turok and escapes with the horn and the dagger. At the same time, Elaine, Nynaeve, and Min rescue Egwene from the Shanshan and try to get away from the city. The White Cloaks choose this time to attack, and the heroes are trapped between the Shanshan and the children. In a last desperate chance, Matt blows the Horn of Valir, summoning forth the heroes of the Horn, led by Arthur Hawkwing himself, and including uh, Burgetti Silverbow. I always said Burget, but then the audiobook I think said Burgetti, and I was like, oh, maybe that's how you're supposed to say it. I don't know. The children are easily defeated by the Domine, but the heroes of the Horn then overwhelm the Shanchen, who retreat in haste back to their ships and sail away. Thus, the ghost of Arthur Hawkwing helps to defeat the Shanchen army of the Return, his supposed heirs. An epic sword battle between Rand and Bialzaman ensues, an image of which appears in the sky, drawing the attention of all. In the fight, Rand is unable to penetrate the defense of Bialzaman and is forced to let his enemy strike a blow in his side in order to defend himself 
and make an offensive lunge, which becomes a fatal hit. After the battle, Rand gives in to fate and proclaims himself the Dragon Reborn and flies the banner, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we see a bunch of people like swearing oaths to him at the end here. It's very like, I don't know. We've seen this scene in some other fantasies, but it's cool to see for, for the first time for Rand here. Man, the buildup and everything. It was a, it was a nice payoff for for the journey and a lot of these prophecies. I've just come to realize that like if you hear a prophecy, not all of them are going to come true, but some of them definitely are coming true. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so like you know, men maybe you should think about, about thinking about men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, men blowing the uh, th- thinking about Matt blowing the horn and and some of the other stuff. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the fact that it was him? Well, I actually gonna... really like it. Yeah, I like yeah. it because, again, he's like this character that's teetering on like the dark side. It would have been different if he like used the dagger to wield some dark power, but he blows the hero's horn and, and like calls the the yeah. legions of of the dead to like come help. And, which and, is... and if you remember, there was a, a, a detail dropped about the horn. It's whoever blows it, whoever you are now it. connected to it and it will only work for you and nobody else. Oh, I didn't realize that it would never work for anyone else. But that's, that's what they said. They yeah. said anybody else will pick it up and it'll just be a regular horn to them. I wonder if it'll have some sort of influence that can like hold beat back some of this evil that's trying to overtake him with the dagger and everything. Or if he's just collecting magical artifacts that he's just like that guy <laughs> who's got all the artifacts. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, we got a big series of events here. It's a big climactic moment. It's very exciting. Yeah. Egwene has been captured and she's been tortured, basically enslaved. This this the way this works is it's like even thought if you're like thinking about doing something, it knows and you can like chew, they can punish you for it. Like she thinks about hitting uh, the woman uh, uh, with, with the, with like a pot or something. And it's like, she can, she can't touch it anymore until she like convinces herself that she'll never actually do it. And only then can she even touch it again. No free will in this scenario. And then also like when they're not around, she, if she wants to channel or anything like that, when they come back and pick up the Adam again, they could tell that she's been channeling. So it's like, complete lack of any like they've taken everything can't do anything um totally just a vessel for magic at that point so and seeing Egwene go through this um brutal totally brutal um yeah. you feel terrible for her and she's a changed person after this you can't you can't come out on the other side of this and be like as innocent as maybe Egwene seemed up to this point and um once they helped her get out and everything she had this like badass moment too where she like she we find out that that through and again they they like put her through the ringer too they're like training her in, in their own t- fucked up way yeah and so she became more powerful because of that or, or like maybe opened up some more of capable her abilities. yeah yeah we see, we learn that she's like an earth specific yeah she has like some sort of ability to like detect ore and so now all of a sudden that's going to be her new role and then at the yeah. end we see her like use that ability to like crush the ground and like kill all these people that were like yeah. trying to get to her and stuff and i was like holy shit that's awesome <laughs> but um yeah, yeah. still feel ter- terrible for her and hopefully it's like you know something that that uh she can work through but holy shit so it was crazy 90 90 to the rescue 90 figures out how to take these collars off mm-hmm. just after like studying them for a little while she like basically jumps somebody takes it off and then the plan was to put elaine in one and for her to pretend to be a soul dom uh 90 but to test it out they put it on the soul dom that they captured and Immediately, Nynaeve's like, oh, I'm glad I didn't put this on a lane. I never should put this on a lane. This thing is way too terrible. And I do like that Nynaeve is like always, she's like, I feel gross even holding this thing. Yeah. I, this is such an awful thing to do to, do to a person. Um, and she and I love the idea of like, this is too bad to even pretend like a lane. You know what I mean? To, to put yeah. it on a lane for a second would have been would have been wrong. 
Right. And then ultimately they leave the two, there's like two of them. Uh, yeah. These sold on. Yeah. They leave them like chained up in it. And what you realize, what you come to find out is that they are like, if there's any latent channeling abilities in them, they, as they use the Adam is like building their ability some too. So that when so they chain them, there's in some it sort the of end, test that occurs in Shanjin society where the girls who can detect somebody else who can summon are destined to become soldom and they have like some sort of way of explaining this as an ability but come to find out the reason they can detect them is because they themselves can channel at least to some extent um so they are in fact actually channelers which is actually like now potentially a big big bit of information because that would throw the whole system into question right because the idea is that any channeler should be should be leashed Right. And that would include all the Soldom who are holding leashes. And so leashes. they're leashed at the end there and they leave them in the in, in like the rooms. And basically like if someone were to come find them and grab onto the Adam, they would realize that they can channel they can channel and then they're basically yeah. in the in the position that they were just torturing people in. So So it's kind of a dangling thread going into the future books, like what happens with that? Does 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 anybody find out about this? What or what's the ramifications of it at the very least? Um and then yeah, at the same time that this is happening Rand is squaring off with a very uh, cinematic, um, they get, you know, it's like the, the fight breaks out, all the other characters run off into the other room to fight, so that it's just Rand one-on-one, -on -one, and come to find out this uh, Turok guy is a real Blade Master. Yeah. So Rand is now mano y mano with a real bl Blade Master. What did you think of this sword fight? How did it How did it hold up for you? It was cool. I, like, found myself just barely not believing that Rand would be able to be, beat like a full-on blade master but he beats a full-on blade master which i think kind of makes you a blade master so but yeah but well it's we, it hasn't been confirmed but you know i wonder if that's the case right like if you beat one does that mean you are one i mean he he bests him in like without using he yeah he doesn't any of power. his uh sadin or sidin yeah he does use the void which seems to be his like secret once he like yeah. leans into that but it's not the power it's like his his like emotionless void that he yeah, that he does, because before that he's he's not doing super well up until yeah, that and point. he's just able to like hop around and use the techniques that Lan and his dad have taught him, and and he's just gotten to that point now where he can I guess best this guy, and it was fun, you know, it was a fun, impressive display for Rand, and he's definitely become like very capable very quickly, so like we can see that he's he's like you know he's the dragon, he has all these abilities that he he has probably coming his way, but also like in hand to hand he's also you know formidable. And so the way this fight is described also uses a lot of these Robert Jordan-esque, you know, sword forms that we hear a lot about. And, yeah. you know, it ends with him, uh, being, I think he employs the bull rushes down the mountain. Bull. Yeah. And then finally the river undercuts the bank um, yeah. is the, like the, 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 the blow that wins him the fight. What do you, what, how do you feel about it? Like, do, do you like it? Do you find your, I think it it's frustrating to you? No, I don't find it frustrating. I think it's like uniquely this story's thing. I think it's um, a little hammy, but I don't mind it. You know, like I, I actually think it's pretty cool. And, and like, yeah. th I think creatively, like thinking poetically and thinking about like what these, it, it helps you visualize it as a reader, right? Like it's something that like you can, you can see in your mind's eye and you're like, okay, bull, the bull rush attack. You can kind of tell what that would, what that would entail yeah. or something. That more. one's a little easier for me than the river undercuts the bank. Dexterous. No. So, so like <laughs> when you think about it though, like if you, if a river like sort of is up against a bank for long enough and it just erodes away the bank, somebody it's like a kind of off balance. That's kind of what I interpreted it as. Like, okay. 
I think it's a little vague. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is, but I like that it's kind the of... The word undercuts is in there, so at the very least, that leads you to some sort of idea. Right. I guess I can see it being something like a stumbling block for people, but I kind of I, kinda I like think it. I, I think it's divisive for some people, but I, you know, I'll grant it that I think it's a clever way to write sword fighting if you're not someone who's actually like a master sword fighter in real life. Yeah. And instead, you want to like... Again, you're kind of employing some metaphorical language that people can then fill in on their sides. They can imagine what that might look like. And um, maybe maybe that will will sell the fight better than it would have if you tried to go blow by blow, which other authors, you know, have tried to do. Some some do it well, some don't. Um, so it's just the way that Jordan, uh, you know, chooses to handle these. And ultimately, I think I'm a fan of it. I think this is a cool thing to do. It's It's unique to him. You know, we, we give him a lot of shit for like, you know, how much he steals from other people sometimes. But like, I think this is pretty unique to him. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's creative too, right? Like, you, it's like he's not, it's not the same thing over and over. He doesn't have like a secret special move that he keeps using. Like, I'm going to use the, yeah. you know, river undercuts the banks yeah. every time. It'll be interesting to see how often certain forms show up again and again as, as, the, as the books progress. But yeah. <laughs> there was like earlier uh, in the story when he was at one of these like uh, regal ball kind of things, these events uh, that he used like cat walks across the courtyard or something yeah he, he does that a few times some it's just like a way of walking yeah <laughs> like walking i can like i can badass. see what he's doing but <laughs> yeah. i feel like it's like ridiculous like neck movement <laughs> and stuff like, i don't know why but cats tend to do that i guess <laughs> um yeah so uh, this this big epic fight is immediately followed by a reveal that inktar was also a dark friend yeah, yeah. that kind of came out of nowhere right I did not see that think, coming. Do you think Inktar is our opening chapter prologue guy? I don't think so, but but maybe. Maybe. I was trying to figure that out, too. I need to maybe go back and look at that. But, like, otherwise, we don't know who that was in this book. True. And, you know, I mean, it was some some dark friend who was at this meeting, right, um, getting orders. And he was kind of resistant, too. Like, right, right. It seemed like he may have been a plant or a spy of some kind. Yeah. Or 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 at least just, like, on the fence about the whole thing. Yeah. And it, but it is kind of a reveal about like uh, 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 different kinds of dark friends, right? You, you have like what Leandrin just did, but then this version of you know of a dark friend is interesting because he has this whole explanation for why he did it. Yeah, and I found that to be compelling and interesting. Like he he wasn't just like evil for evil's sake. He like realized that people. I mean, it's I don't agree with it, but I can see his motivation, obviously. But basically, it was that like everyone else was ungrateful and didn't understand what they were going through up there by the blight holding back the Trollocs and like keeping their way of life, kind of like the, the, you know, the wall in game of Thrones, like keeping everything yeah. back and people just, they, they forget after generations go by, they don't know what's happening up there. And, and uh, he wanted to make a deal that was going to benefit the Shinarans in some way. And he felt like somebody had to do it. And, and, you know, of course it's a bad idea, but you can kind of see how he got there. But I, I also love how it, how it develops, right? Like he turns away from the dark at the end. He, he turns yeah. back to the light and then he talks to Ran about it. And he's like, look, I fucked up and I want to go out on the side of the light. And I like the moment where Rand is like, it doesn't matter that he's a dark friend. He was my friend. And he, you know, it, it doesn't like that. What his past doesn't really matter as much as like what he did here, because it obviously helped them in the grand scheme. And he gets to die kind of a hero's death. Rand forgives him at the end, it seems like, or tells him to walk in the light or something. Um, at this point, Rand also has, he's been like branded on both hands. Um, he gets stabbed in the side. <laughs> Starting to get a little bit of like the stigmata stuff going on, right? Battle damage. Yeah, he's definitely. No, but, uh, but specifically stigmata. Yeah, <laughs> like, Jesus -like specifically figure. Yeah, Jesus like, yeah. 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 I, I think there's a lot of, you know, playing with a lot of that. I think uh, th that will be a continued, you know, as much as he's playing with all these different things and all these different religions, 
Messiah and Christianity yeah. and Jesus is one to keep an eye on for a lot of the stuff that's going on with Rand. But then this all leads up to another big battle, right? As we're, we're escaping, all is lost, and then Matt blows the horn. The companions roll up. I think it's called like the 100 Companions or something. I don't know if they're actually called that in this book, but I think they later get called that. Arter Hawkwing with the group of a bunch of badasses. It's like, yeah. they're like, oh, it's only 100 people, but they're like, oh, we're all, we're all, we could take on an entire army because we're all like the heroes of legend, yeah. right? They're all people from the stories that like Tom tells. We've heard some of these names already throughout different, in, in different versions. Uh, come out of different characters' mouths. Yeah, and this moment, like in the battles, the multiple battles are going on because Rand's fighting Balsamon at the same time, and the like. The the horn is blown, and they're just decimating armies. And then there's lightning bolts and fireballs fl- flying all over the place. Like it's it's a very cool climactic battle. But I, hearing, I, I like that Archer Hawkwing wasn't like silent. I like that he like had some stuff to say, and he's like, "Look yeah. at you, uh, lose Theron Telamon. Like that, you know, we fought side by side before, and the wheel finds us in the same. Like they fought against each other. It sounds like at times, and fought with each other. And I just thought it was very well, cool. Well, there was a really funny part where he's like, "You gotta, you gotta go fight the Shanchan, and you gotta save the woman uh, Egwene. She's a novice, and she's in the town." And they all like laugh, and a bunch of them are like, "I'll oh, lose there," and at it again. He loves those women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like he always, you know, yeah, he always falls in love with some somebody like that like it's apparently this is like a pattern for him and they all laugh about it so these are all people who've been around and like maybe have lived multiple lives themselves this is like their true self or something i don't know unclear the idea of the rules of the horn is interesting to me too because it's like so does it only respond to matt until matt dies and can he just blow it whenever and summon them or like yeah how does it work I, I, we haven't gotten, I don't know if anybody knows and we haven't gotten the rules. Yeah. Um, but it yeah. was really cool. I, you know, seeing the other warriors too, like people were like, Oh my God, that's, uh, you know, so-and-so. And I recognize yeah. that person and seeing them all come out. Curran was like, uh, they're like, Oh, stay here. And he's like, no, I think I want to go right into battle with, with the, you know, these hundred companions or whatever. And they're like, yeah, sometimes there are new heroes who get added to our number. Like come join us. And he's like, Oh shit. He's I'm, like, I want to be I'm a badass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I felt good for him. <laughs> I, I, it was cool when Rand was fighting Balsamon too, and he was like, he was kind of like faint attacking. And yeah, there's that whole thing about you have to sheathe the blade. We've talked about it a bunch of times throughout this book, so you knew it was coming. Yeah. And then at the end, like he basically lets him stab him. I did think this fight was a lot less exciting as far as blow by blow mm-hmm. than the the sword master battle. So sure, I kind of yeah. like that we have both because they can each kind of take a different route. Here it's like Balsamon. They're fighting like it's unclear what's actually going on because it's like they're fighting in the sky, but it was in like the clouds. Like right, flying, then, like, are they the, flying? Yeah, even that description said it was like projected into the sky somehow. So I'm like, yeah. someone turned on a big old projector and just, yeah. just happened to have the backdrop of the Couple clouds. Couple of trollics <laughs> got the big got the big projector out. And they set it up for him. But clearly, this is going to have big ramifications going forward because also we we see like there's like stuff being sewn with his face on it. Yeah, of like to commemorate this moment and that's oh, being yeah. like distributed everywhere. So I was talking about this in one of our previous episodes. This this I, I'm excited to see Rand as the dragon. Everyone knows it. it's public knowledge and like yep. people will be gunning for him, but also he'll have a lot of influence and in like how he's going to navigate that and his importance yep. in the world, but also trying to be a interesting and relatable human like. Yeah, I think look going forward, you're you're definitely onto something that I think we're about to enter, we're about to enter into if I can remember. Yeah. A very interesting part of the series where Rand has raised his banner and now it's who who believes him, who comes to to the call and says, yeah, I'm going to join up with the Dragon Reborn. This is actually the Dragon Reborn who's going to say, no, that's not. He's a false dragon. Yeah. 
it's going to, you have to imagine it's going to cause chaos, right? Like, because all these cultures have legends around the Dragon Reborn. Like, it's not like one culture is just like, no, Dragon Reborn, we don't have anything to do with that. Like, every single culture yeah. has some sort of legend about the Dragon Reborn and how it, how it's going to affect their society. Yeah. And I'm confident there's there's other cultures that he'll introduce at some point that we haven't even seen up to this point. And, and like, yeah, how, how that'll sort of reverberate out. But during that fight... Whenever he would like go in to like actively fight Balzaman, the the army would like do better. Like it seemed like yeah. it was so tied to his success in battle. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, and it's just like it just is showing that everything in the story is so centered around the Taviran, but specifically Rand. And like everywhere he goes, it's like total upheaval of like you know things are better or things are different, and every, people follow him or they or they yeah. are like really he against. Sets off him. a civil war just by being there. Yeah. Yeah. So so. You, I don't know that it's necessarily like for the better, like you would think with a hero coming to town and he's so important to the pattern that like he would leave good things in his wake. But I don't know that it's always going to be. But it is so like he, the pull. And I like that the way that Robert Jordan set that up with like this weave, this pattern, this idea yeah. of this thing that continues on. I always thought this was a very cool idea for him, how like the ability of the chosen one to literally shape fate and shape world events is itself a magic power and it manifests in ways like he can walk into places and it will have an actual magical manifestation and how everybody interacts with him. People are like interested and want to talk to him. He's like a yeah. magnetic person in general and like in, in like a really extreme way, but then also and, like, like kind of lucky in certain ways too, right? Like just certain things play out in his favor. And it's and, all yeah. in a world where everything is faded. Everything yeah. is faded. Everything's going to go the way it's going to go. The wheel weaves as the wheel wills but then there's this character that just like can cut and cut through it if he wants to yeah so these heavier and have like their own little bit of power in that and it's interesting that because so much has been focused on on Rand, but Perrin and Matt are also Tevurin in the books. Yeah. Um, and in the show, we we expand that out to um, Egwene and Nynaeve as well, I believe. So, yeah, we have lots of these Tevurin who are able to sort of shape fate um, themselves through their actions. So here at the end, uh, speaking of uh, men and fate, um, she has this moment now where Rand wakes up after the battle, and she's, like, climbing into bed with him to keep him warm. Egwene comes in, and she's like, you know, a little bit scandalized at first. And then there's talk again about having to share him. Um, and then Celine, AKA Lanfear, who reveals herself for the first time comes by to just to like say hi to him while he's in bed and then leaves. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, she's just gone again. And then, and then he kind of wakes up and he has this moment where he actually does the banner and everything. And Moraine's there. She's kind of been absent for a while, but Moraine and Lan are now there. Um, and she's, she's here to like guide him at, at this next phase. Um, but what are your thoughts uh, about about where we leave Min and Rand and 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 these characters here at the end? I, I don't know what to think about the whole relationship at all. I really don't because yeah. I don't know that I'm even pulling for him to be with any specific character at this point. Um, yeah. It feels kind of out of nowhere, right? Like this whole Min thing it comes out of the blue. Yeah, I mean they've been. But talking we also hear a lot it. of talk about Elaine. Yeah. Then let's let's just like talk about Min though. Like her interaction, her level of interaction with Rand doesn't match like how interested she is in him there at the end of the book. Like she's well, like, she even like, says like I don't even know if I want to marry this guy, but I guess I'm supposed to. I don't even like sh sh sheep herders, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> interesting if you want to have like all this conflict and and interpersonal stuff, but I, I'm interested in like what the characters are doing more. Like Min as a being like. Her, I think it's cool that they're kind of diving into it more in the show. It seems like there's some more backstory motivation that we get. Um, and then her her abilities are crazy. Like there's just like so much that 
must be at play with her and whoever he ends up with, whether he ends up with three people or who, you know what I mean? Like whoever ends up with whoever, Egwene and Rand will ultimately end up together, but there's going to be some twists and turns along the way. And like, and, uh, any thoughts about who the third woman could be that keeps being referenced? No, I mean, it's like, they, <laughs> it's like we have Min, Egwene and Elaine. Yeah. But there's another woman that said that, that, that they haven't, they haven't been, hasn't been introduced yet. None of them have met yet. Yeah. I don't know that unless it's it could be anything, unless it's I meant to be landfear or something crazy like that oh because that was another thing you asked me about in a yeah. previous episode was any idea who landfear could be this forsaken and who her relationship and we get out and out that her relation that she had a relationship with with uh loose there in telemon yeah so so that explains her behavior a little bit more in the show right like yeah she that was the love in the with show the that she's talking about it right. was specifically with Luz Theron and that that's why Rand reminds her so much of him you know right. it essentially is him so that's my best guess at uh, the fourth at this point you, but you think I think it's Lanfear maybe a Forsaken it doesn't make a lot of sense but sure I guess <laughs> okay uh, so before we put a cap on all of this I wanted to circle back and talk a little bit about that flicker moment and seeing uh, alternate lives because I thought it, it was interesting to me as like a, a moment to stop and think um about how i feel like there are moments in all our lives that we can look back on and say if this one thing had been different my life would have been completely different it would have gone a completely different direction and like it is kind of a cool fantasy moment to get to see different versions of your lives and i was thinking about like for me um there's been a few of these like there's been there's a moment where like my my now wife almost didn't come to the party that I met her at in college. She was like on the fence about it and, and like someone convinced her to do it. And it was like, if that hadn't happened, would we have gotten married? Like would I have like met her and started dating and eventually got married. And if I hadn't gotten married to her, would I be in Oregon? If I wasn't in Oregon, like my entire life is different. You know what I mean? Like in, and, and to, it would be so cool to just see, to get a glimpse, you know, of like what it would have been like. And, and, you know, maybe it would have been a lot worse. Maybe you'd be dead in different versions of your life or like what? Like hard to know. But like there's all these different choices you make. And, yeah. um, you know, when you look back at them, you're like, man, that was a, you don't know it at the time. But you're like, man, that was a big moment. And I didn't realize it. Yeah. Or decision point where you make a decision. Yeah. You know, that's like act, you had active uh, control over the situation, whereas like, sure. you know, Annalisa not coming to a party, you didn't have any control over that, but you. Well, I chose. To, I chose to throw the party at the house. There you go. <laughs> um, but you know, and or or like choosing choosing to go to the grad school I went to, or choosing to sign with the agent that I had formerly, and and then that ended up being kind of a mistake in, in the retrospect. If you really start to like extrapolate out, it could probably be pretty paralyzing too, in terms of being like, oh shit, I have to make sure I make the right choice so that I'm happy. But I think it's a good moment too to like slow down, pause, think about where you're at, be grateful for for where you're at, and like all the miracles lined up for you to end yeah. up where you are today. What so. are what are some for you? What are some big decision points in your life? You can oh my god, on? man! I just like there's there's been so many like the the decision to. Yeah, I mean, decision to go to a school, decision to start talking to Caitlin, decision, you know what I mean, decision to pursue something more artistic. You know, I think that that's something that people can sit and think like, oh, what if I was an engineer? Or what if I was this? Or what if I was that? And 
maybe I would have made more money or maybe I would have been yeah. more like quote unquote. Do you think there's a version way, out there of you that did do that? Like are there, are there other alternate realities? I think there's a version of me that enters the medical field actually. Yeah. Cause I had, I, I almost did that. Like I, I started taking like pre-medical classes and some, some like I almost was a firefighter then after that. And I almost, there's so many, it just goes and goes, man. It just, yeah. my, my two main ones were, I almost um, went into astronomy I've always been very interested in astronomy. That was like, the if I was ever going to go into a science, it was going to be that. Um, and then um, probably even closer was psychology. I was almost a psychologist of some kind. I don't know if I would have ended up being a therapist or probably more likely like someone who was in academia. Yeah. Um, but I was always really interested in psychology. And I took a bunch of those courses in college, regardless of even though it wasn't my major, but I almost majored in it. I definitely heavily considered it. I have another great example. When I was in college, like I, it's always been film for me. I always wanted to study film. I always wanted to be a filmmaker. But the practical side of me when I was in, in university, the, the there was like a path in my program that could lead you into like sports or news instead. And like there was a period of time where I did news and I worked at a news station and I, yeah. you know, I was doing I was still it was still within the realm of communications and production. But like what I really wanted was to do like narrative filmmaking. And uh, yeah, I worked in sports, like worked on sideline for live events and stuff like that. So those are other paths that like if I had been like, you know what, let me go with something that's a little bit easier. Let yeah. me go to something that's and it's all relative, right? Easier yeah. for me just in the fact that. And who knows if you would have been happy or sad or who knows how it would have gone. Right. Sure. I would love if, if listening to this um, or if you're watching this on YouTube, you know, comment if you can or leave, you know, you can send us a message on social media. Um, let us know like a turning point in your life that you've thought about and like, you know, how, how things might've gone differently for you. Um, all, you know, since that's what we read in this book, right. About these, about these different lives. I, I'm curious to know for people, you know, um, we can keep it light, keep it fun, but I am curious <laughs> to know, like, cause of, of course there are, there are things where it's like, oh, if I hadn't done this, you know, then some tragic event would have been avoided. And it's like, we can get real heavy real quick. And I don't want to, yeah. people don't need to be bringing up their trauma and putting sure. it out, posting it online and stuff. Um, you know, if we were talking person to person, I'm happy to have that conversation. But yeah. You know. Oh, speaking of talking person to person, you were talking about wanting to be an astronomer. I've been looking a lot into like astrophotography and getting really into that Ooh. world and doing a lot of research on that. That'd so we'll have to cool. chat about that. Okay, we will. We'll do. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you chose to listen on. I've seen we've got like 30 something reviews now on Spotify. We're getting close to 100 on Apple. Um, all those platforms, uh, we'd love to have your rating and review. Um, it does a lot to help the show get, uh, get eyes on it and make sure to like, and subscribe if you are on YouTube as well, since we are, uh, leaning more and more into the video stuff these days. Uh, thank you for, for joining us on there. And make sure to connect with us on all other social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blue sky, all of the usual places. We're also on TikTok. All of those are at ink to film. And if you'd like to support our podcast another way, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash ink to film. And on there, we release bonus content. We also have our ability to get merch on there. We just put out an episode on the 1999 version of The Haunting, uh, which features like Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um, and I thought we had a pretty fun conversation about that one. And that just came out over on there. So that's patreon.com slash ink to film. And thank you to Sirius Beat for the use of our intro and outro music. It's the track The Chosen. All right. All that's left to do is to finish out this second season of the Wheel of Time show. I'm very excited to see how this goes. 
Um, you know, it's 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 been really fun to revisit this world, and you know, I hope this continues to be our, a big project for us, and that we can circle back uh, again in the future for a third season. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying this, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and we got confirmation of a third season, so uh, yeah. you know, I'm really looking forward to getting into that eventually, and oh, just yeah. you know, continuing to dive into this world. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and I just know that I'm sinking my teeth in. But there's so much more out there, like the vast universe that he built obviously through 14 books. Uh, I'm excited to get there. All right. Until next time, keep adapting.